Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Kaz, the CTO at Brex, and we discuss his biggest takeaways from scaling multiple engineering teams, how they are applying the scientific method to building products, and finding the right North Star metrics for your team. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. You go by Cause, right? Uh, yeah, generally. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool nickname. How do you pronounce your your name normally, like your full name? So the American way would be Cosmin Nicolescu. The Romanian way would be Cosmin Nicolescu. So. Oh, sounds cooler Romanian. It sounds weirder in Romanian to pronounce. I, no one here does it, so it'd be like I would I'd probably find it weird to respond to that. So everyone just calls you Cause. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. You like that or? Yeah. I mean, I've gotten used to it since college. I started in college. My middle name is Alexandru. And so in college, when I moved here, um, I said, like, well, Cosmo is too hard for people. So I'll go by Alex. But the problem with Alex is I was never responding to it. It's just not something I'm used to. And so a weekend, I just gave up. <laughs> and you went with Cos. Yeah, pretty Boom. much. Dude, I was super excited. We're just going to hang out and talk today. Is that cool with you? Cool. Perfect. Yeah. Likewise. I'm actually a customer of Brex. I think it's and one day I, I log in and like the icon changed and that, that everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what is this? What's going on with that? We did an entire redesign. So the Brex, I'd say that the Brex design was the one that was more or less from the beginning of the company. So the company is about three and a half years old now. And we kind of looked a lot about the mission of the company, where we want to be, what do we want to focus on now that we're more than just a corporate credit card. And uh, we decided to basically like refresh our brand, our mission, and, and kind of focus on the financial operating system. And as part of that, we also redid the colors. We had kind of mixed feedback. Some people really loved the, the like all black and orange, and some people felt that they wanted more lighter colors. Um, there was like too masculine, too strong. And so we kind of uh, made some adjustments there and, and kind of changed the logo, changed the entire website, redesigned everything, changed the entire dashboard, changed the entire mobile app uh, in, in the last few months. Did the mission change at all? Yeah, I mean, initially, I would say when I first joined, we didn't have a formal mission. It was mostly around like building a corporate credit card for startups. So it was more about the product. And that's been a discovery process that the founders and the rest of the company have gone through over the last 12 months to kind of think about how we want to make an impact longer term. The founders are very long-term oriented. And so basically they wanted to say like, okay, we have these products, but realistically, like how should we think about the company in the long run? What's the impact in the industry and in the world? And how do we kind of sum up together in the mission? Uh, being a mission-driven company was important to them. A lot of their mentors um, strongly believe in that and that's how they've run their companies. And so they they spent a lot of time kind of doing the discovery process uh, along with everybody in the company to to focus on the financial operating system mission. Nice, nice. Now, when you were a small child, was this your dream to be financial software operating systems? For me or for Brex? For you, yeah. For me, like when I was young, like, I thought I'd be playing video games. Right. Um, I... Uh, I got my first computer when I was in kindergarten, which was uh, pretty, like, I think ahead of the time for, for Romania. Like I had an Apple II and I was mostly playing video games. And then when I got my first PC, I kept playing video games and then I got into like hacking. 
uh, and kind of like writing a bunch of exploits and, and focused on security. And then when I got to college, I was focused on like systems and network administration. And I thought that's what I want to do. And then I tried um, software development like as, as part of an internship at Microsoft and really loved that. That's how I got into writing code. Then I was like, I would, like I worked on Azure, Office 365, like all these cloud services. Payments was never on my radar until I discovered Stripe uh, and fell in love with that. Got really deep on, on payments and I said I would never do it again. Then uh, I discovered Brex, fell in love with that. Uh, and, and then here we are now. So I would say no, wasn't the plan multiple times. Well, I would say it was not the plan and eventually landed here. What did you do at Stripe? So at Stripe, I joined um, as an engineer and I worked on their financial infrastructure. So basically all the, like that's really how money moves. Basically like when when you go on a website that uses Stripe and, and you wanna pay with Stripe, I built all the rails that, um, that move the money, how we pay out the merchants there. And so I was like pretty core uh, in terms of like all the systems. And then afterwards uh, I started focusing on um, their card present solution uh, basically, like how do we take it from purely digital and kind of build a platform for people that want to have not just online payments, but also in-store payments. Uh, so build a platform for that. Uh, did an acquisition for a company there um, called Index and, and kind of set it all up. And then I've always been very, by that point, obviously, I was, I was leading several teams and I was really passionate about like culture. And so I was also helping build distributed offices for Stripe. So I helped open Seattle since I used to live there before. Uh, and then I did a bunch of traveling to Dublin in Europe, uh, and then I was setting up Singapore when when I was leaving. And so, did that experience like prepare you for your role at Brex? Definitely, uh, definitely. So, both in terms of kind of learning through a hyper growth company like Stripe. So, I joined Stripe and it was about a hundred people, and I joined Brex and it was about fifty people. And so there was a lot of learning. I was like, okay, we did that really well. We didn't do that. That was part of the culture. That wasn't part of the culture. Those are the things that we had to evolve. And then on the remote and distributed stuff, I had, um, I had a pretty bad experience at Microsoft in terms of remote work, uh, both personally. My first year at Microsoft was in the Vancouver office because uh, I couldn't stay in the U.S. So I stayed, I was in the U.S. for university and then went to Vancouver for a year and then moved back to the U.S. because uh, I couldn't get a work visa at the time. And uh, I had, I loved Vancouver, but I hated working from there. I was the only one working for my team remotely. It was just very, very hard. And then later, towards the end of my career at Microsoft, I um, was working with a team in Shanghai. A big part of the org was there. And so I was traveling a bunch of times. I think I did like eight times. I traveled eight times in one year. And so I learned basically like what works and doesn't work with, with kind of having a distributed team. And then I applied that at, at Stripe as we wanted to go distributed. And then that was very, very useful in terms of how to set up things at Brex in terms of like a distributed culture. When I joined Brex, everybody was in one office and literally would work around the office and you talk to people. And then we opened up Vancouver, then Salt Lake City, then New York, and now we're fully remote. So it's definitely been a very pleasant uh, experience, but also one that, that I've been able to apply a lot of the stuff that I learned throughout the, the time at Microsoft and Stripe. Were you already going remote at Brex and before COVID happened or did that make that happen? So we were going distributed. The plan was we'll start off with a few different offices and we'll have distributed teams. And then the plan was to go remote, but it was kind of the, the remote aspect where 
we'll have some people, maybe some engineers can work remotely, but for the most part, like if you think about leadership roles, if you think about majority of the people, they would have been in one of the offices that we had. Uh, and I think the biggest shift that we've made is changing the culture to be completely remote and enabling anybody to to work from anywhere, basically North American time zones. And that required quite a lot of work through throughout the year, which we had to do no matter what. Uh, and so we looked at it and we're basically like, if we are able to do that for a year, why can't we do it longer term and kind of give people the flexibility to live wherever they want? And, and that forced us to take a more longer term approach uh, to how we operate, which will then, uh, I think, pay off dividends as we started hiring people from from all over the U.S. and Canada. Did the the like the structure of your engineering teams change when the mission changed or no? Not necessarily. I think in general, my approach with organizational structures is to find like team structures that have clear missions and goals and systems that they own. And over time, you adjust those like every six to 12 months, you make tweaks and adjustments rather than like we're massively changing the org. So when I first joined Brex, there were no teams. So I set up the initial org structure. Then in the fall of last year, when we launched Cash, we introduced that. And so we made a couple of changes there. And then earlier this year, we made another change um, to kind of uh, shard split a couple of teams and create a couple of new teams. And everything else is more or less organic. So within the high level structure, you have other teams that got formed over time uh, as, um, as the number of people increased and you kind of have to make sure you have the right support for, for each of them. When you went remote, was security like a tough problem to solve with everyone being at home? I would say logistics for IT uh, were hard. And so we already had things like VPN set up and YubiKeys. And so that was that was pretty smooth. It was mostly the logistics of for people that are joining, how do you actually send them hardware? Uh, there were a bunch of back, uh, backlogs for uh, Apple, for example, so you couldn't get laptops in place. Even if you could, now it's like you have to ship them. Uh, in the office, you had like a hardware lab where you can go get like a bunch of smaller things. Now you don't have that. So how do you enable people to, to purchase those? And this is where it's nice to be uh, a company that builds a corporate credit card because we're able to kind of actually evolve the product to enable people to do that. So for example, we decided that we want to give everybody some amount per month that they can spend on whatever they want towards work from home to make their experience better. You can do it on food, you can do it on laundry, on whatever you want, doesn't matter, internet. And we wanted people to use the product. So we actually added functionality in the product. We created like a stipend card that supports that. Similarly, now we're looking at, we've been evolving our hardware purchasing to, to enable people to buy things using their Brex card and make it reconcile really easily with like finance teams and tracking with budgets and all that. And so that's been very seamless from that perspective because we're able to change the product to accommodate for us, which hopefully translates in other people also getting the same benefits. Yeah, did you notice your customers have any changing with like security uh, because every all of their people are now decentralized too? Yeah, I think for a lot of our users that we've chatted with, that's been a bigger change because we've we've predominantly worked with smaller startups that were they were growing quite a lot. They were all basically where Brex was one or two years ago, uh, where many of them were were in that boat. And so we've worked and I met with several of them to kind of talk through how to communicate efficiently, how to collaborate, what are some of the tools that we've used. 
both from a security perspective, but also from a communication, collaboration, and decision making. Uh, like, what are the different tools that, that we've been using successfully to to enable people to work distributed? I think the hardest part with being remote is less about people being in in different parts, but more about like time zones. How do you actually have the right balance? Um, the situations for each person was very different. Some people were very comfortable; they could set up an office at home. Other people, their office was their bedroom, and they shared a house with like five other people. Other people had kids around since schools were closed and they couldn't get um, childcare at home. So a bunch of different situations that created tensions. I think from a security perspective, most of the technologies nowadays rely on single sign-on, Google, Okta, um, and, and VPN that allow you to, to keep your system secure. Yeah, I was talking with Kevin Land. He's a CTO of Authenticate. They make mm -hmm. this like really cool remote browsing product where so basically like you're in Chrome and you open up another tab, but that tab is actually running on another computer. And yep. he was just telling me all about like the financials uh, industries that they work with and all the security type stuff. And I thought it was fascinating that you could open up a tab and it just be on another computer and it feel like a seamless experience. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it's been amazing to see so much technology. We've also been looking at something similar in terms of being able to do development in the cloud, mostly kind of as a workaround to the extent that you have a laptop that you can deliver to people and it's secure. And obviously we have a bunch of software running on it. Everything's fine. Uh, but with all the backlogs and with people traveling and, and provisioning hardware being harder. We've we've invested a lot in what would it take for us to trust that people can use their own computers uh, if they need to for some period of time without being completely incapacitated and not being able to do anything. Similar technologies are are have been very interesting to see as internet has gone bigger better everywhere. Uh, you can literally run an entire operating system remotely, uh, which is which is really cool to see. That is pretty neat. A lot of our uh, community members are, you know, startups all the way to like enterprise stuff. And I told them, I said, hey, guys, I'm having a cause on from Brex and I want to know if you have any questions. And Sam wanted to know what your biggest takeaway was from scaling the engineering teams in your career. I would say scaling, I, the way I've experienced scaling has been mostly through step function changes. And so... Uh, a lot of times, is there a big difference between like 50 people and 80 people? Not really. Uh, is there a big difference between like 50 people and 100 people? Yes. And most of the time it has to deal with uh, a few different factors. One is how large your organization is and how much breadth and depth you have in the org, because they will affect a lot of the processes and the systems you have in place to disseminate information, make decisions, uh, and so on. The second piece is around absolute numbers. Once you reach 150 people in an org, you just don't know any, everybody anymore. I think this is an interesting aspect of the remote world where in the office, I would have lunch with all the new hires, uh, especially in engineering, I would spend time with them in the beginning. And now we're doing that over Zoom, but it's so much harder to get to know people uh, and remember people. And so it's been much harder for me to, to be able to know all the different folks in engineering, strengths, weaknesses, passions. And so you have to rely on the organizational systems that you've put in place. Both at Stripe and, and at Brex, we've invested a lot in recruiting. And so I think both the bringing in people as well as onboarding them, as well as making sure they have a very good inclusive environment has been really critical to scaling organizations. 
I, I used to spend a lot of time on recruiting and interviewing at Microsoft as well. And I've always viewed it as one of the most impactful things that you can do, no matter what your level is. Most of, almost everybody talks about how the people that they work with is one of the most important things. Like I love the people that I work with or I don't. And so recruiting is the best way to kind of influence that and be part of the decision-making. And then again, any process that you have, depending on how fast you scale, you have to revisit. Uh, by the time you tend to roll out a new process, you have to come up with the next version of it because the org has changed so much. You've grown, uh, you now have multiple offices or you're remote or like various factors have changed that require you to take the next uh, evolution. And chances are the next evolution will involve other people uh, just because you can scale by having the same people doing the same things over and over again. And so you have to be able to kind of trust people um, to, to help you scale the org. Nice. I like that you brought up Dunbar's number of 150 because mm -hmm. we had been, uh, a lot of people have been asking us to like make a community because we have so many listeners, but we don't have like, or we didn't have like a community Slack or anything like that. And we ended up partnering with seven CTOs and like taking their community concept and uh, merging into a new company called Elevate and we call it Elevate150.com. Uh, nice. Yeah. And yeah, we have about like 60 people and then we were just like figuring out all the like intricacies before we like make the big announcements and stuff. But when we were researching, the thing that we found with the groups is that, you know, we're part of many different groups and they get so big. So like if your group gets to like a thousand or 10,000 people, what happens is like people start asking questions and then there's like resentment because I've already answered that question before. I've already contributed. If you, and if you condense the community down to like 150, so we said, all right, well, let's build like houses, you know, uh, and like name them and we'll have these like chunks of 150 people that way they can all form these little communities and maybe we'll have like one channel that'll run across all of them for announcements or something but it's really interesting as far as like structuring a large community to feel small um, and i see like the same thing kind of happens in companies too right yep no it's fascinating the the way you you brought it up because i think about some of the communities that i've been part of and you're totally right in that as the larger they get the harder it is to kind of make everyone happy um, you have new people who are interested in the same topics that were brought up six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, and it's very valid. And at the same time, you want to keep people who've been in that community engaged. Um, you don't want to kind of have a, a high level of churn. And that's very hard to do uh, at, at large scale, um, both because it's not it's not very personal. Um, like I've been in in communities that have like thousands of people and you're like, OK, I know like five people and uh, the rest of them, like it, it's very hard to get to know them. And so typically start deprioritizing those. I think within, within a company, it's, it's a very good forcing function to set up, set up tools and systems that allow you to not have to know everybody to make progress. Like everybody knows how when you have hard problems, you have a list of people that are like your go-to folks. And as the company gets larger and larger, you don't want to have the same people always doing the same things and you want to kind of get new people in there. And so if you don't set those up, the, the, there's like a forcing function um, that, that makes you do it, um, which has been really nice to see. And the other aspect I think with uh, both online communities and, and companies is when you do everything on Zoom, logistically it gets very hard for everybody to participate. Uh, so I do a Q&A every month with the whole engineering org. And 
you still have like the level of engagement, I would say, gets to be very different than if I do meetings with like five people um, where everybody can can kind of contribute. And similarly for social events, uh, when we're in the office, teams would go for like lunch or happy hours or like fun events to, to just get to bond and, and build empathy. And now that's very hard to do over Zoom because you can't really interact as much. Um, you can't have multiple active speakers. You can't do things in parallel. The best thing is like you start doing breakout Zooms, but it's still not the same, not the same experience. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We actually used the, so we have this community call. So like every week uh, we get together and we have a call and we have a speaker and then there's like two breakout sessions. And so mm -hmm. figuring out how to set that up correctly, like the right amount of uh, length for a breakout room and the right people being in the breakout room together, yep. like the composition of it. And then like, if we're prompting them with questions, that's one thing where Zoom lacks. Like I can't show everyone something while they're in the breakout rooms, yep. which makes it kind of difficult. But I definitely think maybe, maybe we'll send Harry an email, but <laughs> I send him suggest that guy's probably so sick of me. I send him like these <laughs> weird suggestions. I'm like, integrate Pandora for waiting music. <laughs> that would be amazing, right? Like the experience is so basic today. Um, right. Like it's very reliable, which I think is the advantage, but it's very, very basic. It's just like you have some squares, one person can talk, you can have like thumbs up, thumbs down, you can mute people. And it's, it's basically the same stuff that honestly we've had for five years. It's just gotten more reliable probably. Yeah. And they have an app store, but the thing is like, from what I understand, and I could be wrong and get a bunch of hate mail, but from what I understand, we tried to make like a custom app for the podcast on here, but it's like, you would have to download like that version of yes. Zoom. And so it, they, they need an app store that's like, you can just experience the app when you load into my Zoom call, everyone has it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you would want to have like a platform. It's it's actually quite quite hard to to do, right? And it wasn't, I mean, if you think about that company's trajectory is like at the beginning of the year, they were like one of many apps. It was probably one of the more popular ones. And then they just exploded overnight. And, and to their credit, they've invested a lot in security. They've invested a lot in stability and reliability. But in terms of the experience, it's, it's I think, miles away from where it will be in the next year or two. In general, I think that's the case for remote collaboration in general. I think with with COVID, more and more companies will will have many more people working remotely, even after COVID is is done. And by definition, that implies that they will have to collaborate and have not just I can work on my own work and then kind of push it to a centralized thing, but also collaborate remotely. How do you do design remotely? How do you brainstorm remotely in in ways that kind of mimics the experience in the office with like a whiteboard? Um, today, like I tried a bunch of whiteboarding apps to see if we can do it. Like they're all very bad. Uh, none of them are like, oh, wow, this is great. And it's so basic if you think about it. And so I think there'll be quite a lot of evolution. I see a lot of startups trying to, to invest in that space uh, coming up. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who failed to find like a really great whiteboarding app that had the same like feel or experience that you would have with the team. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. There's there's stuff around like how do you replicate the experience where you just turn around to someone and just talk to them so you're not isolated, uh, but you also don't want to like let me set up a Zoom meeting with everyone all the time. Um, there's just a lot of those. Like right now, I think we're struggling to make the in-office experience similar to the remote experience or the remote experience closer to the in-office experience where in fact we should be able to make it even better. 
Um, like you shouldn't have to, to strive to even get to that point. You should be able to say like, I can make it actually better than it was in the office from, from many perspectives. I don't think you can do it across the board, but for day-to-day -day things, you should absolutely be able to do that. I think that's the future of work. I, it's just like a gut instinct. Like I feel like we'll end up becoming more centralized, like decentralized because people, I don't know, most people I talk to in this maybe because I don't live in a big city, but most people, they want to like, you know, have some space and like be outside yep. and experience nature and not be crammed on top of each other in a subway or something like that, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to see already during the, during the pandemic, I think you've seen people either relocate temporarily, some people even longer term, uh, some people are moving around. Uh, like if I were in like coming out of college, as an engineer, I would go and spend three to six months in various places and try it out. Like just live in different places is, is an amazing experience. You have that flexibility. And, and so I think a lot more companies will, will both find a value in that and employees will find value in that, which means I think it will be accelerated. I don't think everybody will go remote and I think it will be kind of some sort of hybrid, but I think it will definitely be a much higher percentage of remote. Uh, and companies will be much more flexible. And I mean, we've already seen that most major companies have announced that they'll support people being able to move around. I'm curious if it's going to be like an advancement on an existing technology or just something totally new out of nowhere. Because I saw the other day this like, I think it was called Portal or something. It's this like mm -hmm. phone booth size thing where you see the 3D replication of the person and it's really like HD. Have you seen that yet? Did you see that article? I haven't seen that one yet, no. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, so it looks like a phone booth, but the person's like in it and they did a video of it. So you can, you know, and they walk around it and it looks like the person standing there, but they're it's not, crazy. they're broadcasting from another location. I mean, that's, you, you remember, I remember people using, looking at like CNN when they did the hologram thing and they would find it so, uh, so funny. And now we're building more technologies that basically replicate that. I think it will be, I mean, I think some of the technologies that we use today will need to change. Uh, like I said, Zoom will, will change, uh, whiteboarding, basic apps. People will start combining tablets with their laptops um, to, to kind of enable that. Number two, I think security will change. Uh, to your earlier point, uh, working from anywhere implies also a higher risk. And so making sure that the company stays secure. So I think those companies will, will thrive. And then I do think there'll be a third bucket of things that we haven't yet figure it out and, and we'll, we'll be innovative. We'll call it the fun bucket. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. Like, and I would like love to try that. Like I've tried out a bunch of different, like whenever I see one that's like, oh, this is how we're thinking about solving the problem. I always try to give it a shot. Very few of them have stuck. Cause again, I think it's very early um, and it's still very traditional rather than, than kind of out of the box. But I do think you'll start seeing it more and more. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I know it when I feel it, like you can tell yes. me all about it, but when I go and experience, I can tell if it feels like genuine or artificial, or if this mm -hmm. is something that's going to scale. Like I was really, really excited about one of the 3d headsets that's actually built like in Florida. Uh, I forget the name of the, the company, but I was at a conference like a year or two later and I ran into them and like, I got to try their prototype and put it on. And I was just like, Oh, so disappointed. Because the yep. videos amped it up and their website and their marketing materials made it look like so 3D. And then I'm just like, this is no, not, nope, that. not what I thought. Nope. I think it'll, and I, I do think it'll take time. This is the same if you think about the 
let's say previous decade in the early 2000s, there were a bunch of technologies uh, like tablets, smartphones, et cetera, that were just like ahead of their time and they just weren't great. And then towards the end of the decade is when you started seeing same technology, but just much, much better. We haven't had it as much if you think about it for this decade. Like I'm trying to think what was what was in the beginning of the decade, like very basic ahead of its time. And now it's there. And I would say I would probably put remote software like has improved. Back in the day, I think you had a bunch of different, like as a, uh, when I was at Stripe, we went through like three different companies to do video conferencing and all of them were, were bad until we, we stopped on Zoom. But other than that, I don't think anything has really, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't think of a technology. I'm like, oh, that's really changed a lot in the last decade and now it's the right time. So I think chances are it'll be in the next few years that that, that happens. Yeah, we'll talk in 10 years and we'll be like, oh, it was right exactly. in front of us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it looks so basic afterwards, right? Like when you think about it back in the day, it was like, oh, you have a uh, like a pen to use on your phone and that's like really cool. And then you're like, no, that's like, why would you want to use that? That's not natural at all. You should use your fingers, you should multi-touch. It was just like the technology wasn't there at the time to, to be able to do that. And it did the same thing, which is it replicated the previous experience. Like if you think about smartphones, I would say it was mostly like what you had on a normal like operating system with a stylus to kind of help click and everything else was very, very basic. And so of course that didn't really pick up. One of uh, the questions we had from David in our community, he wants to know what it, what it's like, like working with the CEOs and founders that have had like a lot of success, maybe from a young age. And what was mm -hmm. it like with you getting to work with them? Yeah, I would say it's, it's both extremely rewarding and extremely challenging. I would say in both cases. So uh, I joined Stripe when Patrick and John were in their early 20s. I joined Brex when Pedro and Ricky were in their early 20s. Uh, I think now like Patrick and John are very clearly have, have made a mark already on the world. And I think Pedro and Ricky are, are, are behind on that and getting started. But um, I would say because they're, they're they're so young in general, what they have are the right instincts. Uh, they don't have the experience because they haven't, they haven't done it, right? And so they hire people with experience around them, but they never, the thing that I've always appreciated about them is one, they, they don't take no for an answer. Like in general problems, any problem can be solved. And so they will always push on, uh, on doing more, better, different. And then the second thing, is that conventional rules don't really apply. Like in, in both cases from my experience and, and having uh, chatted with folks at other companies with, uh, with amazing founders, uh, they all go in an area that's been like traditionally in a certain shape with certain problems and they solve them very differently. And everybody tells them in the beginning, you can't do it. And so, and generally they prove them wrong and I would say when you work for them, it's the same thing because your experience will tell you this is how we should do things. And then their instinct tells them when to push back or when to do something differently. And, and that's where you learn. So that's, the, I think, the rewarding part is to see how thinking out of the box uh, and thinking much more creatively can help solve problems better than the kind of traditional way of solving problems. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh like I like the bright eyed and bushy tail. They're just like relentlessly ambitious. It reminds me of like when I was in my early twenties, right? Like anything yeah. was possible. And that's, that's so important too, because 
there were always people that are like pessimistic that'll sit there and look at you in your age bracket and in ones above and below you and they'll and they'll just be like naysayers but when you have that drive and you go through and you gain all that experience look back you're like ha ah, there was so much i didn't know but you did it but you yeah. you got there and you achieved it and you overcame and everyone else is just in their same position still saying things aren't possible <laughs> yeah i mean i would say generally i would say they're externally optimistic they're optimistic about where the world is going to go they're optimistic about what uh, changes can happen in the world and then internally pessimistic uh like they're very hard on themselves uh, they always focus on what could have been better differently they they don't focus so much on celebrating the wins but much more so internally on celebrating failures uh and and kind of learning from them but again it, it, if you take like a longer term time frame and a more like external perspective uh in general like everything can be better everything can be different we can remove all these limitations they don't matter where they're very very hard on themselves and they're generally very hard on people around them uh because they they hold people to the same bar and they know that in order for them to be successful everybody around them has to also get up leveled and and be at that bar i'm smiling cuz my team's on the call <laughs> i'm like what are they going to say after this i just beat myself up by the way i did a podcast and it's like it was a big one so i was like wanting to make sure it like went well and everything and right come into the podcast and we had a power cycle on our machines and like my teleprompter stopped working so like oh. i can't see their face or notes or like call anything about it or or a clock or anything and it it just like if it could go wrong it went wrong and <laughs> and after the call i was like guys that was the worst i was like immediately i was like into a zoom call and and i was just like guys i just completely screwed this up that was like the worst thing i've ever done and they're like it really wasn't that noticeable from the outside but I was yep. like, you know, unacceptable. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? You have a very hard bar for yourself. And like, also, if you think about like this, this is your baby. And then for them, their companies are their baby. And they will like, everything they do is optimizing for that. Uh, and so, of course, you always have to figure out like, how do you, how do you grow and how do you learn while at the same time, just appreciating the things that go well. It's just, it's, my personality is the same way. Like, when if someone gives me a compliment i kind of brush it off easily i'm like yeah sure whatever or it's not me it's the team and it, in, in general like i generally believe that and whenever things fail i'm always very introspective what could i have done better how could i have set up people better for success uh what should we do differently if we repeat this would i have done anything differently and sometimes i'm like i would have done the same things why okay let's go back and look what would have taken to do something differently uh, at the end of the day like people tell me that like oh but you seem very hard on yourself and you don't appreciate the things that are are going well and and kind of celebrate those things as well and i do think at a large scale it's important to do that and and it's important to kind of lead with optimism and so one of the engineering values that that we have here is pragmatic optimism uh and and being thoughtful about um all the details of course and like things go well things that don't go well but in general trying to have a positive outlook and trying to move things forward uh it's very easy to kind of like say no we can't do this shut it down but it's much harder to say like okay i don't think this is quite right but let's make it better because that is really the hard part it's very easy to kind of critique and throw stones at things uh but it's very hard to to make progress yeah it's way easier to like tear things down or say no than it is to build mm -hmm. them up exactly yeah. 
I was I was reading an article about Brex uh, about the scientific method them using the scientific mm -hmm. method that kind of being part of the culture. Can can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, so that's one of we have a, a blog series called Building Brex. The goal of it is to basically have uh, folks within the company and kind of provide more transparency externally on how we operate uh, and how we've actually gone through the different challenges in scale. So that's a that's a post by Zach, I believe, our, our head of product. And Zach is, is interesting because Zach and I work really close together. I lead engineering, he leads product. And I am very much in the, in the more like tweaking kind of mentality. So I make small changes, let's tweak this, let's tweak that. And that's how you make incremental changes to, for progress. Zach is very much in the like, let's move the pendulum a lot and swing it left and right quite broadly. And then eventually we'll get there faster. And so sometimes uh, we apply his way, sometimes we apply my way. It's quite a good compliment, I think, for, for the organization. But in general, our both of our mentality is, one, um, engineers do really well uh, with metrics. As long as they have a clear metric, they will optimize it really well. Uh, you want to increase a, a number, they will do it. You want to decrease a number, you will do it. What's important is that you choose the right number uh, because otherwise you optimize on the wrong things. And so we spend most of our time trying to think about for each team, where is their North Star? So as a company, for example, we have four company North Star metrics and different teams will contribute to each of those metrics. And we make sure that we clarify exactly, okay, for this team, that is your North Star metric. You're closest aligned to that. And then we take the next level. It's like, okay, how are you going to drive that metric? Like what is your team's North Star metric? And then obviously you have sub metrics that, that kind of contribute to that. And so someone can focus on number of users, someone can focus on volume, someone can focus on losses, someone can focus on manual work and automating that. There's, there's a few different kind of things that all come together to make Brex successful. And a lot of our time is spent on how do we make sure that the teams have those right metrics in place? And when they don't is when we've made organizational changes. So some of the things that he mentioned in the post are, are tied to how we've restructured the teams to kind of better align with those goals. And we notice those problems when teams struggle to make decisions or to prioritize. They're like, well, should I do X or Y? And the reality is teams struggle to, to make a decision between X and Y for one of two reasons. One, they don't have enough context to know which one's more valuable. That's generally the case in larger companies. Uh, in smaller companies, people have a lot of context. Uh, at Brex, we're like super transparent. So uh, that generally isn't the problem. The second then problem is uh, X and Y are very different. Uh, they're measuring very different things. So they don't know how to equate the two. So for example, if I say, should you drive revenue or should you drive number of accounts? Like, I don't know necessarily how to make that decision if I don't have a good framework in place. And so that's when things get escalated and then we kind of have to step in to, to make a decision. And so every time that happens, we kind of look back and you're like, okay, is that an exception because no system is perfect? Or is that something that's more systemic and we should make any changes to either the metrics or to the team goals, structure, et cetera, to have more clarity there? Um, like our goals in order to scale a company has been to set up autonomous teams that can make the decisions on their own and kind of operate pretty independently. And, and that's been a big part of the like scientific method is just like using goals and metrics to, to guide teams rather than focusing on like exactly what projects you're going to work on, exactly the deliverables, because over time you're going to learn new things and you're going to want to adjust those, those roadmaps. Where did you guys get the North Star thing from? I don't know if that was, it was from any place. In general, like I've always thought about 
engineering organization having a North Star vision, a North Star direction, uh, that's kind of like longer term guiding principle, guiding structure, guiding values, whatever. That's super um, important. And so uh, we, we kind of did the same thing with metrics. And most companies, if you think about it, have company metrics. Uh, like most companies will say like our company, like things that we care as a company, what we cover in all hands meetings that the executive team reviews, whatever, they tend to have a few of those. If they have too many of those, typically they struggle because it's too granular and you can't track all of it. But what I think most companies struggle with is how to tie in the team's work to those goals. And so a lot of times I've gotten feedback or I've given feedback when I've been in, in on various teams in the past of like, how does my work really move the needle uh, to those metrics? Like I know how my team's impact is in terms of like, here's the projects that I've delivered and it will move this metric, but how does it really move that metric? And then most people tend to then um, get to revenue and say, well, all those things that we're doing eventually brings in more business. And revenue I think is, is kind of like an output rather than a direct goal. Because if you directly wanna move uh, just revenue, there's, there's different ways to do that. And so of course, over time, more customers result in more revenue, uh, but there's different ways to, to kind of move that metric. So in general, I, I tend to not optimize for that and try to find the other metrics that eventually then lead into revenue. Okay, what, what are those types of metrics? So for example, we have active users. And uh, if you optimize for active users, then again, you're optimizing in general, if you're a company that focuses on smaller businesses, that is your measure of success. So if I think for Brex, uh, uh, our goal is to be the operating system for, for companies, the financial operating system for companies. And so we're primarily focusing on small businesses, which means the more businesses use Brex, the more likely it is that we achieve our, our mission and we're successful in our mission, rather than the opposite, which is you have a small number of very large customers. If you have a very large, uh, a small number of very large customers, you're probably not going to be their operating system. You're probably not broad enough to be able to do that. And the reality is in large companies, like enterprise level companies, you're just a drop in the bucket. And so it's much harder to achieve that. Uh, and so now if you're optimizing for the number of users, then it's like, okay, what does it take to 10X our funnel? What does it take to bring companies that are outside of tech? What does it take to uh, lower the, the barrier? Uh, what does it take to not increase our losses? Okay, losses is important. So let's have that as a counter metric because I can open the floodgate and, and let anybody sign up for a Brex account, but then you might uh, lose all your money and shut down your company. And so losses becomes a problem. Great. What are other things that are preventing you from doing it? Well, manual work. Like if you have humans in the process, it doesn't scale. Uh, and so great, let's start tracking that. And so you start going from, as a company, what is the shape of success look like? What are the metrics that they kind of give you that? And then what are counter metrics that you want to keep track of to make sure that, that you kind of reach that in a responsible way? Dude, that's brilliant. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I'm curious to know, like, how do you disconnect? Like you're very, very smart. You, you're hard on yourself like I am, but how do you, how do you like relax away from it? Or how do you reignite like and get some inspiration? Yeah, I mean, this year has been quite challenging. I would say the things that give me energy are a combination of like introverted and extroverted activities. So there's times when I love just being on my own, reading, going to the movies, watch a movie. Traveling was a big thing for me and my partner. Uh, we love traveling, experiencing different places, cultures, food. Uh, obviously very hard to do that with, with COVID. 
And then on the same, uh, on the flip side, uh, I, I really enjoy hanging out with my friends. And so I would say I, I don't do well in, in groups of people where like, I don't know anybody's like networking level events, like those are, are draining on me, but, uh, hanging out with friends has always been, um, kind of a, a thing that gives me energy. And that again, has been quite hard to, to do, but pre COVID, I would say traveling, uh, hiking, reading, um, going out with friends for like food or, or whatever, uh, movies, exercising, like I go running quite a lot. Yeah, I don't think anything super special, but I try to to make sure that I prioritize those. It's very easy to kind of lose track of those on a day-to-day basis. Uh, like pre before when I had the break between Stripe and Brex, I was going to the gym every day. I was going working out. I was reading a bunch. I was like, this is great. I feel great. And I kind of wanted to build that uh, that momentum. And then I was like, if I build a momentum, then when I join Brex, I'll be working a lot, but I'll, I'll have it in my system. And sure enough, within a few months, like I was going to the gym like once or twice a week. I wasn't running as much because I was making up excuses. And so, and then subsequently, then you start burning out and you start having less of, uh, less of a balance and then in, that that affects your like creativity it's very easy to do like tactical things and check off boxes but taking a step back thinking about the bigger picture thinking about longer term things more creative work those are very very hard to do uh this year for example i think it's been very hard for me to get into writing so before i used to write eternally i would write docs memos i i had a bunch of blog posts drafted and it's been so hard to get to write stuff I have a, for the Building Bricks uh, blog, I have two posts that I've been writing for like now two months. Um, and I just can't get myself to like get into that that mode to just sit down, and write and, and have the words come out. It's uh, it's a tough, whenever I'm developing a new discipline, I stack it as the first thing I do in the morning, right? So- uh, Are you more because- of a morning person or evening person? Uh, naturally I am an mm-hmm. evening person, uh, but with kids, I have to be a morning person. <laughs> yep. So, uh, I, I wake up like five, uh, go for a run, make myself breakfast, wake the kids up and be a part of that routine. And then I go to the gym lift and then I go to the office and start working. So by the time I'm starting working, like, you know, I've already been up for three or four hours and have like accomplished some stuff, but, um, I put, I started to take piano and put that in place of the gym. Cause I was like really making progress there. I was like, like, you know, you hit this curve where like you start out, it's like, mm-hmm. are right, you figuring something out? And then you start really gaining traction. So it's like, all right, I'm doing super well at the gym and I'm just starting to take off piano. I'm going to put piano as the first thing I do when I wake up. And then gym attendance just went like from a hundred percent, like six, seven days a week, only resting when I have to, to like three days a week. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I really found out that I can only like really hammer hard on one thing at a time as like my first thing. I think most people are, are the same way. I, I think the, the truth of the matter is everybody tries to do more things both in their personal life and in their professional life than they can. But what's really rewarding is when you do something really well, really exceptionally, like to your point with Jim, like you got really, really good at it. Now with the piano trajectory, I'm assuming you're probably going to do the same and you would get really great at that. And but it's it's different than like I'm gonna do three things and I'll be like meh at all three of them. Like I'll go to the gym two days, two, three days a week, and I'll play piano, but not really well. And like I'll go running, but not for long distances. And then 
like even though you're doing more things, I don't think it's as rewarding as I'm able to kind of accomplish some ambitious goals and, and get those things done. Yeah, mastery is a large driver in my life. Like I very much enjoy mastering something. Only uh, 10,000 hours, so. Yeah, only 10,000. But man, I'm going to get like four or five things before I die. Or if Musk can hurry up, come on, buddy. <laughs> I, might, I might be able to get a couple thousand things in and get that Neuralink and live forever. There you go. Forever and ever. Isn't that cool? The, the concept that like, I, I found out that there's a whole field. I found this guy. He like added me on LinkedIn or probably one of his PR people did, right? Mm -hmm. But his whole thing was like longevity. And there's apparently a whole like culture, like a whole thing of these people that in this industry called longevity and everything from like science research to supplements, like everything. And there is a ton of money being spent on this type of stuff. People trying to live forever, especially like some tech billionaire type people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think there's, there's two different paths that I've seen. One is the path of how do we make our bodies last longer? You slow the aging process and so on, like the physical uh, aspects. And then the other one is more about like the, the neural ones where basically like, well, do you really need your body to live or is it your consciousness that needs to live forever? Um, and this is where like, if you go down the AI path, people believe that you can download your, your conscious into, into a computer and then you just, you don't even know you're there. You just believe you're in the real world and you can live forever that way. And I think it'll be, I mean, if you think about technology and the rate of change, uh, I think in the next 10 to 20 years, uh, it will be, it'll be incredible what we'll be able to do. Will we be able to live forever? Like, I don't know, nor do I think that's good for society for, for people to live forever. But I do think there's, there's definitely something there that, that will, that will gradually uh, increase and have step function changes. I think we're kind of getting to the limit of the incremental changes that we've done through the medical system where we've cured some diseases. And now you're like, great, you can live to like 80, 90, close to a hundred, but like, that's not really great. What people want when I, whenever I talk to, to my friends about this, they don't necessarily want to live a hundred. Uh, what they would want is their somewhere between their twenties and their forties to live forever or for a much period, longer period of time. Um, like they're like, Oh yeah, you're extending the end of your life where you're not able to do as many things. And so it's not as rewarding. What they would want is to be able to live like our current age for a much longer period of time. Uh, yes. And then give up the years at the end. So I think there'll be that's like the, the medical changes and improvements that we've made as a society. I think are we're more or less there. I don't think you're gonna. Prep, I don't think people will focus on like how do I get people to live on intent. Like it's not a big focus. I think. Yeah, we're we're on. The thing is that that makes me happy is we have business models that if you extend them out, this is the result. And so whenever there's money behind something in an industry like that, it will achieve its outcome eventually. It's just a matter of time. I think yep. we'll get the, especially with the CRISPRs and the editing and all the stuff that's happening now, you know, the, the lady that like figured out CRISPR, she said, if you would have asked me last year, I would have said we're 10 years out. And then she stumbled upon it. Right. And that opened yep. up like a whole new, whole new world. I think if we can get it like some therapies and things so that we could live a little bit longer. And then that'll like, even if you could give me, like, if I could go get some operation or a surgery or an injection or something that kept me 40 for 25 years, 
just like kind of yeah. like stopped that down or maybe created a gradient that slowed me. So like it's two to mm -hmm. one. So I live twice as long from that point on, uh, that would be fantastic because then it would give the other technology time to catch up. So we could actually get into a more like a state where like we can be switching out our computers like, <laughs> as my body's like a computer. I could go into the exactly. computer. I could go and you go on vacation and you're actually just go into a body like that's the vacation. Right. But I love this. I love this future. I think it's, I think it's such an interesting idea and it, we're actually like on trajectory for it. Yep. I think there'll be, there'll be a lot of money poured into, into that because there's been so much money made in technology and those like almost everybody will want to live longer. Uh, like I haven't met someone that's like, no, I'm good. And, and I think they'll definitely invest in that. The only question is, it's always like, is it going to be there in time for me? Yeah, um, that's the Because they might discover the thing where like, yep, we can, you can take a injection or whatever, and, or you can take a pill every day and it slows down from that point on. But if you're now 70, then like you can't go back. I think going back is going to be very hard to do. Uh, I think more likely is to slow down. Yeah. And yeah, if we get it when we're like 80, I'd be like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, at that point, like it, it's interesting to see because people are always like, oh, when you're young, you're like, oh, do I really want to live like that? But when you're in that age and like you have your family, your kids, your grandkids, like you want to be around them. Uh, people true. cling on to life for, for a long time, I think. So I think at any point you would take it. Yeah, that is true. Because especially with my general like demeanor, like I, I believe my attitude, I think when I'm, I don't ever feel older really. So I think that when I'm that age, as long I see these older people and their minds are so sharp and talking to them, it's like you could be talking to a 40 year old, but they're clearly like in their late seventies or something Yes, and they're running around driving, playing tennis. And I'm like, Whoa, like that is the, that's who I want to be. That's why I care so much about my health and, and yeah. A hundred percent. Like one, it's, it's your brain. Like I've, You'll, you'll meet older people who are super sharp and they're on top of everything. And then you meet other people who clearly are, are struggling. And at that point, I think it's like, that's the, the highest order bit for me. Like if I'm in a state where I'm no longer sharp, then I don't think it's worth it. And then the second one is, is taking care of your body. And the, the reality is it's not going to be the things that you do when you're in your seventies that are going to help you be healthy. It's the things you're doing now to oh, be yeah. healthier in your seventies. So a lot of people by then it's just too late to figure it out. For sure. Let's end this on a positive note though. Exactly. <laughs> Living forever. What are you really excited about? It could be personal life, work life. What are you pumped up about right now? Uh, well, I'm pumped up about the vaccine. Uh, like I think, even the most optimistic people didn't think we we're going to be able to get to that in like a year. Um, and and I'm, I, I think this is, again, shows you when when science and technology really puts the, their mind together and, and goes towards a big dream, then they're able to do it. And so I'm quite excited about that. I am quite excited personally about the holidays and, and kind of being able to to kind of like decompress a bit. And then work-wise, next year for, for us at Brex, it's, it's going to be a, a huge year in terms of expanding to small businesses across the U.S. And that's one of the, the reasons why I joined Brex is being able to kind of get the product in the hands of as many businesses as possible and, and helping these small businesses. Uh, I'm a really big believer in like small businesses driving the economy. And so I'm quite excited about that. And I think, again, next year, 
the these small businesses will need all the help they can get. For sure, hundred percent. And I love the product, and we use it. And I'm grateful that you had it when, when it, when it first came out. Like I couldn't rent a car, <laughs> you know, for the business because they yep. had to have a credit card. And I was yep. like, oh man. I personally, at the time, I didn't even have a credit card because I was like, I didn't use. Yeah, one. you don't need one. Yeah, yep. and uh, so I was so excited when our our VC firm like connected us with somebody at Brex, and they're like, hey, check it out. Are you doing anything interesting? Or I know we're wrapping up. We've got time. Uh, we're at time sure. here, but I was just curious. Are you doing inter any interesting like contest or anything with your teams around the holidays? We just did a white elephant with my leadership team, and then every team is kind of doing their their own thing. Some are doing like white elephants. Some are doing Secret Santa. But next year, I think everybody is very excited to be able to see each other, have some offsites, uh, and get like we've. I've talked to some of the people who basically have never met majority of their teammates because uh, we've hired them this year and, and it's only been on Zoom. And I think people are quite excited about that. That's very, we're doing a um, gingerbread house building contest. Oh, amazing. That's yeah. so cool. So we bought a couple of gingerbread kits. The rules are everyone has to have the same kit. So we got the same mm -hmm. kit. So it's fair. And then uh, your spouses or other people, creative people can't help. Uh, or kids or anything like that. And we're all going to design them and then post them anonymously and, and vote on them and see who wins the gingerbread building. This contest. is like that great uh, British Bake Off. More or right? less like it's a, it's a little version of that. That's great. I love it. Right. So feel free to steal that idea next year. I know. Or for that. You could even do that offsite, like in person. Exactly. So. You can totally do that. Yeah. Well, this is great, man. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I feel amazing. And yeah, I love I love kind of talking to folks about random topics. You make it super easy to to kind of go around through a variety of topics. Uh, and on Brexit, if you have feedback on the product or anything good, bad, definitely shoot me a note at any time. Uh, we always want to make it better. Perfect. Yeah, so far I've used it without any issues, and I've I've been a customer for I think maybe two years, um, and it just kind of works. And love it. I needed to give someone a card once and I, and I saw that you added, I think you added that feature like maybe after, or you just made it mm -hmm. more clear that I could give team members cards. I think you could make another card, but then it became like something that you do. So that was exciting. And so I gave, you know, one of my other people cards and it's great that you can give them virtual cards. I just screenshot it and like send it over to them. And it's, it's just really so far like fantastic. And then I saw some new tabs in there. Um, mm -hmm. I think you guys are doing some stuff where you're like reading bank account stuff so we can do like cash flow analysis and stuff. So I thought that was a cool thing. That's something I struggle with because QuickBooks and reading a PL is like one thing and cash flow is another thing. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm interested. I haven't dug into it yet, but um, I'm going to check it There's out. There's more things coming out soon. Keep an eye out for some new tabs. Boom. Well, thank you so much, buddy. You have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.